Welcome back to GC8. I'm Eric. I'm Rosie. And I'm Johanna. We are back with more Cowboy Bebop goodness. We're going to pick up with Session 2, as it's often referred to, which is Episodes 6 through 10. But before we do that, let's have... Do we have any more uh, background on this? The main thing that was going on in Japan in 1998 was the Olympics. So <laughs> 1997 was basically the buildup to the Olympics in 1998. And 1998 was like the big year for the Olympics and the Paralympics. Okay. So there's the background. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. We, we already talked about it last time. Johanna, did you have anything new you wanted to add on the production side of things? Yeah, I'm going to talk about two of the main creatives behind the show. Director Shinichiro Watanabe. Cowboy Bebop was his first full directorial debut. His original concept was for a movie, but during production, once it became a TV show, he decided to treat each episode as its own miniature movie. He did also, of course, direct the film adaptation Cowboy Bebop, Knocking on Heaven's Door, which I think comes between like episodes like 22 and 23 or something like that. In 2003, Watanabe directed his first American-produced anime, the short films Kid's Story and A Detective Story, which are both chapters in the Wachowskis' The Animatrix, which is an anthology of animated shorts from that universe. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, highly recommend it. Watanabe directed uh, a couple other things in famous sci-fi anime crossover worlds, Blade Runner Blackout 2022, which was released in 2017. And it was announced in 2018 that Watanabe would also be working on Blade Runner Black Lotus, which will be an anime series. I already talked about how this show kicked off and that Watanabe was one of the main drivers for both this genre blend. All of his work has a genre blend like this, but then also pushing to make it a serious adult TV show, not just an excuse to sell action figures. But of course, the other main creative who made Cowboy Bebop what it is, is the composer Yoko Kano. Kano participated both in the composition, but also performing a lot of the music, part of the band The Seatbelts. According to Kano, music was one of the first aspects of production that began, and a lot of the actual episodes were made after the compositions were already done. She was born in Sendai, Japan in 1963, and her earliest music experiences actually came from attending church with her parents. She was a classically trained musician, mostly the piano, wasn't planning to make it a career, and focused on studying literature when she went to Waseda University. So when you think about how her music supports the story or drives the story, some of it is she's got a, a very firm literature background in addition to experience with music. It was while she was at university that she discovered other genres outside of classical. And she spoke of this in an interview with Akihiro Tamita that a friend of hers who introduced her to the drums she thought was a genius. Kano said that she had heard drums on the radio before, but it was like I'd never really noticed them. Then I see drums performed live and was able to experience a beat for the first time. 
I started to take heavy interest in music that wasn't classical and joined the band. So she discovers rhythm in college and then we see her really, I think, come into her own with these compositions for Cowboy Bebop. She's also doing the music for the live action adaptation. So we'll see what she comes up with next. Oh, I just got chills from that. That's going to be exciting. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into the episodes. The first one, Sympathy for the Devil. Again, another Rolling Stones song title is the episode title. Probably a really good title considering the theme of this particular episode and the fact that it centers around a blues musician, which appears to be a child prodigy playing on stage. But he appears on stage with what seems to be maybe a father figure in a wheelchair who we think might be the person there. there's a bounty on. Turns out to be a little bit different than that. The character was actually an adult that had stopped aging. And their condition was caused by an accident at the Astral Gate. Like, it looked like two planets kind of wrecked into each other and caused the issue. And he may not have been the only person that had this medical condition. But he's the only one we ever see in the series, from what I remember. So here's where we learn, for the first time, a little bit about the cataclysm that happened to the Earth. So apparently there was a gate, which are these... Uh, I guess equivalent of like it's a sci-fi convention for to get around faster than light travel in some movies and TV it's like called a wormhole and others it's a stargate whatever the case is it's a hole in space that goes from one place to another but there was some sort of incident in near earth atmosphere which destroyed part of the moon and killed a large percentage of the human population and it also in, resulted in all kinds of weird shit that we'll learn about as this goes on one being this character becomes an immortal due to something having to do with this accident i really appreciated the animation of the dorian gray moment at the end of the episode it was really chilling actually to see how how that was rendered and um kind of nightmarish yeah i thought thought just the animation for this episode was really well done. The name Sympathy for the Devil is a really good one for this because unlike, say, Gateway Shuffle, for example, you have no sympathy for those villains. But this one, you kind of do. You kind of feel sorry for him when, when you know more about him. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I have something special. We have been drinking tequila sunrises for five episodes and now like six episodes, really, if you count the one before this. So much like the 90s, we got a permanent buzz on and <laughs> it is time to possibly sober up. 
I admit that the drink for this one is one that I myself have never done. I cannot have not brought myself to do this, although I might try it at some point. At least if I ever did, I don't remember. We are going to have a prairie oyster. Oh, no. I wondered whether you were going to give us an episode for that revolting. <laughs> so oh, man. Oh, I'm like over here Googling this because I have no idea what it is. Ew. The it just sounds gross. The prairie oyster is got a very long history in pop culture. There are references to it in numerous movies and TV shows and books going back to the early 20th century. So over a century of references in pop culture, it's very popular because it was once considered a great hangover cure. Yeah. Like almost all, like almost all hangover cures. It's one disgusting Two probably ineffective, but think of a Bloody Mary without any good stuff in it. So, <laughs> and basically, <out> egg. <laughs> basically, vodka and Tabasco sauce. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so this is actually a mocktail. Ah, hangover there, gone. <laughs> there are two ways to have this. One is a mocktail, which is the traditional hangover remedy. And then there's also the other hangover remedy, the hair of the dog, where which is an alcoholic version of this. So basically a prairie oyster, you take one egg and separate the yolk. All right. And you got to be careful if someone bumps you during this, the egg could land up in your end up in your lap. But you, you carefully separate the yolk drop that into an old-fashioned glass, add a teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce, and then like a dash of salt, a dash of pepper, a dash of Tabasco. That's it. That is the prairie oyster. And then you do it oyster style. You shuck it. You just basically down the hatch, the whole thing. Now, if you want to do the alcoholic version, because in this next episode we're about to do Heavy Metal Queen... Spike actually is sitting in a bar having one, and we don't know if he's going to do... He talks about the prairie oyster, but we don't know if he's going to do it with alcohol, but sitting next to him is a bottle of... It says Silby's, which I think is a play on Gilby's gin. And so if you wanted to do this with alcohol, it would probably be an ounce of gin with it. You know, So you're doing a shot of gin with egg and Worcestershire sauce and salt that and pepper gross. and tabasco is um, that supposed to make you throw up is that part of the goal like throw up the rest of the alcohol that's in your body so that you don't have a hangover anymore because that's the only use i see for this drink every hangover cure is like this i think the idea is kind of like the way catholics go to confession it's like you're gonna have to deal with something you don't want to do in order to get absolved I think that that's like the idea behind most hangover cures, but it has been speculated that the protein in the egg helps you recover from a hangover. Although there's been no scientific evidence that any hangover cure works. I mean, water and aspirin is probably the best you're going to be able to do. But anyway, that's the prairie oyster. And given how common it is all across pop culture, it's the perfect thing to make an appearance in Cowboy Bebop, especially with how much they drink in this series, because they drink a lot. Episode 7, Heavy Metal Queen. 
uh, Heavy Metal Queen, I don't think, is a reference to any specific song except perhaps Mississippi Queen. But we have Space Truckers back again from, from <laughs> since the time of, of Alien. Of Alien. <laughs> yeah, where mm-hmm. we first talked about Space Truckers. Now we're back to Space Truckers, which I got to say, Space Truckers is always awesome. Like, it's really hard to go wrong with Space Truckers. The, Especially uh, like really butch space truckers that remind you of Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was trying to figure was... out who she reminded me of, and that must be it. But also Jane Lynch. Like everything about the character, I was like, I, I had to do a double take to make sure that the voice actress wasn't Jane Lynch. <laughs> she also had a touch of Candace Steen Virgin going on. I kind of noticed that too with with uh, the way that she spoke. It just kind of reminded me of her, but I just kept wanting her to say, "Tell him large Marge sent you." <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's awesome. This is a great episode. This alone makes it worth watching. For anyone that hasn't seen it, there is a chase sequence between spaceship semi trucks through an asteroid field set to ska music okay just let that sink in you know (laughs) it's a great scene i love that one now as much as i like space truckers and this episode heavy metal queen it also has my biggest nitpick about the series so i didn't mention it but back in honky tonk woman jet fires his gun in like the vacuum of space which that just wouldn't work, you know? And there are other traditional firearms that are fired in the vacuum in space. But in this one, Spike is actually unprotected in a hard vacuum. And this is like, I guess in theory, it's technically possible not to die of suffocation, freezing, and everything else bad that would happen to you if that was the case. For But I always hate it when sci-fi movies do this. I always hate it. And it's it happens in a bunch of them and, oh, and and particularly in cartoons and anime whatever like what was that um treasure planet i think did it and it oh, yeah. really made me mad it happened i think didn't leia go out in in the vacuum yeah, but and there were a lot of problems with episode eight the last jedi and and leia doing a spacewalk is the least of them but <laughs> anyway, it's just one more strike against that. But there are very few strikes against Cowboy Bebop. And one of them happens to be this one for me. I would have preferred that he not be in his jazz double-breasted suit out in the hard vacuum, but in an actual vac suit. All it's right. really balletic, though. I mean, it's a, be- it's a beautiful scene. It is a beautiful scene. I just wish they had taken a little bit more science and a little less fiction with that one. Episode eight, Waltz for Venus. Not sure if this comes from a song title, but of course it mentions music in the title, Waltz. Just like last one mentioned heavy metal, this one mentions Waltz. And as you can expect from an episode named after Waltz, it's not going to be a happy story. One of my favorite things about this episode is when Rocco and Spike meet each other and Rocco's like, you're awesome. I want to learn how to be like you. And Spike immediately leaps into, you know, an explanation of how to be a good fighter straight out of the Tao Te Ching. 
you know, be fluid like water, responsive and flexible and move into different spaces. And I, I swear, like, the Tao Te Ching has several passages that are about this exact idea. It was exciting to see a little bit of philosophy, kind of a Yoda talking to Luke Skywalker vibe about it. It's a very common thing that is said in martial arts circles. So my sensei would always say if I was being too rigid or I was being too too tight, he would be like, no, 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 be water, be water, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, and I think it's probably something that at some point, Bruce Lee probably would have said, we have to say that Spike does, um, his form of martial arts is Jeet Kune Do. And JKD was the martial art that was founded by Bruce Lee. I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup. It becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Practically a direct quote from Bruce Lee in this episode. Who We were just watching a video. I know this is an audio podcast, but we were just watching a video. And when you see Bruce Lee, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. There was a little loop in, but they model. They must have modeled Spike at least partially off of Bruce Lee. Oh yeah, they, the sure. similarities are uncanny. Be water. I mean, the, this this whole you know episode, Roku he get he gets in trouble because he steals from his own gang to save his sister. It's actually a a, a pretty touching you know story. What happens? The end of it kind of made me sad because Spike didn't really get to fully explain what happened to the sister who did, you know, who did survive. The purpose of the whole thing was fulfilled, but unfortunately, you know, Rocco was lost in the process, but she was made well. I don't know. I have a thing about closure. I didn't like how in the end she was like, yeah, just leave, you know, <laughs> when and didn't even give him a chance to like explain what happened to her brother who was trying to help her. You know, she's like, okay, I figured out he's, he's gone. He's not with me anymore. Just go. Like, I don't want to hear anymore. And I'm, I'm like the kind of person where I'm like, I need answers. I need closure. I need to hear like, so it, I don't know. That's just me and my issues. Like it would aggravated me that, that she didn't give him a chance to just explain. On the other hand, there are a lot of moments like that in this episode that really tie back to the themes of loneliness and isolation. Like there's Mm -hmm. a great line that I think sums up most of the feelings of the series when Rocco says to Spike, I wonder, had I met you earlier, would we have been friends? Which, it seems like everybody is in that place of almost letting themselves make a human connection or realizing there's an opportunity to do so, but then pulling away a little bit Mm -hmm. and not letting that in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this episode, both with Rocco and his sister, missing that opportunity to connect or work through something with another person. Interestingly, in both cases, it leaves Spike isolated and alone and unconnected. Jamming with Edward. Now, this is the first time it doesn't reference a specific song title that I know of. Jamming, of course, is a musical reference. And Edward, while Edward is a character in this, it might also be a reference to Edward Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen. So jamming with Edward might be a reference to that. Jamming with Edward. We have Jet, we have Spike, we have Ayn, we have Faye. Now we get the final member of the team's appearance. 
This is Edward. The episode opens with, I think it opened with the AI. There's an AI in this that is very reminiscent of Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, that, that red glowing circle and that disembodied voice. Basically, there's a big bounty on this hacker. And this one is where we get into stuff that's really cyberpunk and really reminiscent of um, Max Hedrum to me. But also it has like references to ancient pagan land drawings. They're, they're on there trying to get the bounty on um, this hacker, Edward, who used these laser satellites to carve these drawings on the planet's surface, which... I don't even know why that why you would offer a big bounty on that, but okay, whatever. And but nobody knows what Edward actually looks like. We find out that Edward had actually befriended the satellite that was creating the drawings in the first place out of actual loneliness. I don't know. It was just interesting because like loneliness seems to be a constant theme throughout the series and even the satellites are lonely so lonely that they're drawing pictures on the earth of ancient you know <laughs> ancient drawings that used to be there it was interesting to see that edward befriends this particular satellite makes a copy of it and saves it and then in the end becomes part of the bebop crew and also we find out that edward's actually a girl <laughs> at the very end yeah at the very end we find out that edward is actually edward the girl edward's kind of a fun character yeah radical edward was the the name they were using for him in quotes this one reminds me a lot of max Hedrum because there was like blank reg in that some a hacker who was like off the grid and they would they would have names like that and there'd be all sorts of rumors about the person but also max Hedrum was another one this is a running theme that happens in a lot of uh cyberpunk there's an ai that becomes sentient and in that it happens to be the title character max Hedrum, and a hacker downloads and copies him so they can't destroy him I feel that that series was a big influence on this particular episode. So loneliness is a theme that you hear a little bit in Westerns, you know, the lonesome trail and the lonesome cowboy, lonesome dove, whatever it is, you know, and that's definitely, definitely a recurring theme in Cowboy Bebop. And yeah, even, even the satellites are lonely. Yeah. Kind of like how it draws in this Cold War Soviet era theme part of it also that that's where the satellite comes from and there was a lot about this episode that reminded me of Star Trek in various ways like the idea that they're going back to Earth there's like some vague threat to Earth that actually turns out to be benign and is related to some other goal that someone else had a long time ago that has gone off course like a lot of that is very much out of either Star Trek of Voyage Home or V'ger, the satellite that crash lands. So I thought it was, those kind of tiebacks were cool. I also love this line towards the end of the episode when Spike says, three things I hate are kids, animals, and women with attitudes. Why do we have all three on this ship? <laughs> Which <laughs> was, was kind of like a really nice, you know, officially now the band is together moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, so I, I really, I, I feel like now at episode nine, we have the crew assembled and they're ready it, to go off on adventures together. It reminds me of that Simpsons line. 
Mick Bain, your partner's here. It's a, a dog, a uh, precocious kid, and a lippy broad. <laughs> or something like that. I, I forget yeah. what it was exactly, but that was like... <laughs> I'm always here for the lippy broads. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, that's jamming with Edward. The whole crew is now together. Ganymede Elegy. Again, I don't know if it's a reference to a specific song, but much like Waltz for Venus, with a title like Ganymede Elegy, you know it's not going to be a happy one, or not completely happy anyway. In this one, they have to take a bounty to Ganymede. So that's their destination. And Jet comes across, is it Alyssa or Elisa? Alisa or Alyssa? Yeah, I think it's Alisa. Alisa, who is his ex. She left him one day with no explanation. And she's running a bar here. While Spike is busy with handling the bounty business, there's this other story between Jet and Alisa. This seemed to me to be a classic Western noir blend, kind of an archetypal character there. And the sense from Westerns of the rogue goes off pursuing gold or is on some kind of job and comes back and everything's changed, but also nothing's changed. And like how much time has gone by and the woman has stayed behind, but she's moved on or has she? And, you know, like all of those kinds of feelings felt straight out of a Western, but then with the crime element underneath that makes her another femme fatale character more like out of noir. So when I said earlier that this series does kind of an interesting thing where you it's easier to tease out which elements come from which genre early on, and then you get episodes like this, which feel like a perfect seamless blend between those two things. My favorite part of this episode is the chase scene with the acoustic guitar la 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 kind of yeah. kind of music that directly contrasts the mood of that scene and it just speaks to kind of the the artistic sense of the show and also the really creative use of music to direct your feelings even when the action is going somewhere else and it's a spaceship chasing a boat too let's like, <laughs> like let's like not forget that part of it very um, good point so Part of this reminds me also of like samurai film. He comes to this place and she's she's in trouble because of the new boyfriend. The new boyfriend, Rint, is that's the shark meter. Rint is in trouble uh, with a loan shark. And so, <laughs> what? I love that the shark meter is going off for loan sharks. This this is just like a wonderful new moment in this podcast. All right. I love we, we got a little ding on the shark meter today. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, but um, <laughs> Rint is not as bad a boyfriend probably as the boyfriend from the very first episode. Oh, the yeah. The drug dealer right. boyfriend. Yeah. Jeez. Yes. But he is, he's not wonderful either. And I think that what gets me about this episode is that most people have had this experience at some point in their life where there's someone that they could be with forever except for circumstance or except for something it reminds me of the human league song the don't you want me song where like <laughs> yeah. one of the lyrics is i still love you but i now i had to go live my life on my own 
I guess it's just what I must do. It's that kind of a vibe to it. It's like, yeah, I still love you, but I can't be with you. I have to live my own life kind yeah. of a thing, which yeah. makes it even more lonely than all the other lonely stories we've had before. Yeah, because um, she was like, you gave me everything. You did everything for me. I didn't have to worry about anything, but I just had to be on my own. I had to depend on me. So, yeah, and it's just like, oh, my God, you had everything and you let it go. Like, but It's one of those experiences that I think most people have experienced at some point in their life, but rarely gets expressed in art and music as mm -hmm. much as the standard breakup. Well, I also wanted to point out that during this episode, we did find out that Black Dog was actually a former cop. If I remember correctly in the episode, Faye was like, okay, that's why we have such a hard time getting along. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's because he used to be a cop. Okay, I get it now. So that was an interesting twist in her understanding their relationship with each other, which I always like moments like that. Yeah, just to echo what Rosie said, I really like how the show gives you just a little bit at a time about who these people are. One of the things I like about it is the fact that these characters seem like strangers to the audience, in addition to feeling like outcasts within their own world. Cowboy Bebop doesn't try to spoon feed you any of that, and they want you to be invested in the show even if these people aren't going to be your best friends, which to me made it beguiling and interesting and really different from other shows like this. Yeah, yeah definitely a smart move on their part because too many times we see in the entertainment industry, they just like, boom, introduce everybody in the front in the beginning of the series. And then, you know, everything there is about them. So you don't get that element of surprise when things happen throughout the storyline they have to make up surprises as they go along. And, and by doing it this way, they can continue to create the character story throughout the series and keep it interesting and keep it fresh. And I like that a lot. We'll be back with more Cowboy Bebop soon. But until then, you can write us at gc8podcast at gmail.com. That's letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, please let other people know about the show. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Rosie. And this is Johanna. See you, Space Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs>